Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Guilt is the feeling that you've done something wrong when you may or may not have actually. Sometimes guilt is justified because you really did something for which it is fine to feel remorse. The problem is when you feel that same feeling over something that you actually did not do, but you attribute it to yourself or somebody attributes to you and then you believe them. Several years ago, psychologist Susan Krauss-Whitborn wrote a post for Psychology Today called The Definitive Guide to Guilt. She describes guilt as an emotion similar to other negative feelings like agony, grief, and loneliness. Guilt is a powerful emotion. It can impact how you see yourself, how you interact with the world, and what you believe you deserve. It's healthy to feel guilt about causing actual harm to someone or something But blaming yourself for things you didn't actually do or things you wish you'd done differently can lead to dysfunctional beliefs about yourself, like I'm a lazy person, I'm a selfish person, or I'm a cruel person who doesn't deserve to be loved or treated kindly. These beliefs start with what Susan Cross Whitburn describes as automatic thoughts. Okay, so the the automatic thought is where you, you have a thought that pops into your head so quickly you didn't really have any time to edit it before it came into your head. Once it's there, it's very hard to get rid of. And the problem are automatic thoughts of a negative nature in which you blame yourself for something you didn't do. They're almost unconscious. Usually why these are bad is because they do contain a lot of unnecessary and unjustified self-blame. So it all, it, it, when it becomes something that reaffirms a negative way you think about your character that's when Mm -hmm. it's not working well for you no and it's you know it it becomes self-perpetuating you know the more you try to rid yourself of those feelings sometimes the harder it is to do so guilt is not always rational and that's something i've talked a lot about with my sister priyanka she's a pediatrician in ann arbor michigan and she had an experience earlier this year that she is still working through It all started when she and her husband, Amit, got pregnant, and we began our conversation talking about how it felt to get that news. Oh, so excited. Yeah. Um, Felt giddy, like a kid in candy store, like really excited. Obviously nervous, but also like we'd been wanting it, we'd been trying, and we had sort of had, I don't know, I think it just had a plan in my mind for like how this next phase of my life would be. Amit was starting fellowship. We already knew we were going to be staying in Michigan um, and just felt really excited about the possibility. I mean, how do you alter your life when you you get news like that? Or do you? No, uh, 
I altered my life in turn. I just I felt like I had to be like more health conscious. I was really careful about taking prenatal vitamins, watching what I was eating to not have things that were like not pasteurized. I was doing hot yoga. We'd gone to a hot yoga class and I'd bought a full month subscription. And then I read online that as a pregnant woman, like you shouldn't do hot yoga because it can affect the blood flow to the baby. And so I was like, oh, I better not do hot yoga. And then it was winter in Michigan. It was really icy. And so I was like extra careful walking outside because I didn't want to fall. And then Mitt and I love to travel. And actually, even like the year before we got pregnant, we had decided to not go on an international rotation to Colombia um, because Zika virus um, had just become like a really big thing. And the reports were that then you shouldn't get pregnant for at least six months after you were gone. And we thought that we probably wanted to try sooner than that. So even almost a year before this happened, we'd already started making like life choices and changes, which was really different for me. I've never, it's funny to make choices and changes in your life for something that doesn't even exist and you never know when it will or won't exist um and so both before and then in those first few months i felt like i made some like conscious decisions about my health and like general well-being and how did you feel different or Um, did you feel different yeah i felt like shit um (laughs) I felt super nauseous. I only threw up a few times, but it was a daily, like, get up in the morning. I had, like, these rich tea biscuits, which are, like, English tea biscuits by my bed. And I would force myself to eat half of one of them before I even got out of bed because it was the only way to prevent myself from feeling, like, more nauseous. Um, And I remember you telling me you would, like, drive. You would, like, drive with the window down. It's, like, freezing Michigan weather so that you wouldn't vomit on the way to work. Yep. 100%. Because I I couldn't really change when I got to work. I just had to try to, like, adapt my life around that. And throughout that whole time, the only people who knew that I was pregnant were you and mom and dad and Amit's parents. So no one that I was around in Michigan. Um, And so you're sort of incognito trying to not hurl on your way to work. And then you get to work and you're just, like, living your normal life. So a lot of times I know, like, the they often tell people, like, wait until you're – a certain number of weeks in before you tell anyone. What is that, six weeks? No, So I think that the likelihood that you have any issues with your pregnancy is very high in the first trimester. Yeah. So a lot of people say wait till 12 weeks um, or at least until you've had your first couple ultrasounds where they see the heartbeat. Because once they see a heartbeat on an ultrasound, it's also much less likely that there's going to be problems with the pregnancy. Um, and so I think that they often recommend waiting a little while just because there's a high likelihood that something could happen in that first period of time. Okay. Um, And so I think people usually try to keep it to themselves. Did it ever occur to you all to not tell anyone until later? Mm, No, we were like way too excited to not tell anyone. (laughs) Um, And then as the story goes on later, I think it would have been even harder to have not told people about it, at least people who you really relied on and supported. Um, because I think I would have felt like it was just too much to deal with all at once. Yeah. I do, looking back, I feel like we were very carried away siblings. Like, I was sending baby emojis most days. You were. I feel like, yeah, Nikki Lesh and I were both very jazzed very early. Um, Well, so was I. So I think it feeds on itself, you know? Yeah, it was really exciting. So what were you most nervous about at the beginning of your pregnancy? Or did you feel nervous or anxious? Um, I think the medical part of me just felt nervous that something 
could go wrong because I knew that there was like a possibility of that. Not consciously paranoid, but kind of paranoid, like going to the bathroom and wanting to be like, oh my gosh, is there any blood or like, is anything wrong? You know? Um, But then week after week, nothing was wrong. And so I think I sort of started to feel more reassured that things were fine because I knew that like as more time went on, usually if nothing had happened, that things were more and more okay. Right. So, okay. So you had your first checkup. So I had the way that they do it in Michigan, at least, was that you had like a visit with a nurse at six weeks. Okay. And that was just the like, hey, congrats, you're pregnant. Let's get a bunch of blood work. And let me tell you about all the things that you shouldn't be doing while you're pregnant. And then they wanted you to come back um, around 10 weeks for your first like ultrasound appointment. Okay. So tell us about that appointment. Um, I can like still remember what I was wearing actually and that it was really cold in Michigan and Amit and I had both been at work and then we like met in the lobby of the hospital to go drive to this appointment and we're obviously really excited Um, but I was also nervous. Um, I got there and I don't have high blood pressure and my blood pressure was sky high and the lady, the intake nurse was like, oh honey, are you nervous? It's your first pregnancy. Like don't worry Um, and then uh, a nurse practitioner came in and was chatting to me about – whatever, how my health has been, how I'd been feeling. And I was just sharing that I'd been really sick and, you know, but I'd actually started to feel better the last few weeks um, and was excited to have this first appointment, but still like really nervous. Um, And then they, you have to land table and like put your feet in stirrups um, and they put the cold jelly on your belly and mitts on one side of me, like holding my hand. And then the ultrasound machine is on the other side. So I literally can see it. Um, and she put the probe on my belly. And that is the very first second that I knew that something was wrong because I knew from medical school, I'm not a, an OB, but I knew that I should be able to like see something moving on the screen because at 11 weeks, which is when I was at that appointment, I should have seen a heartbeat on the screen and I didn't see anything. And the nurse practitioner took the probe off my belly and she was like, you know, sometimes the the fetus is really small at this age, so we're going to have to do a transvaginal ultrasound, but I need to go get one of the OB doctors. And so she walked out of the room And I'm still lying there naked with this cold jelly on my belly. And I looked at a mitt and just burst into tears. And I was like, there's something wrong. Um, And and he was very sweet, but also naive. And he was like, no, no, like she just couldn't find it. And I was like, no, it's not like you can't find it. There's something wrong. Um, And then this OB, who I'd literally never laid eyes on in my life, walked in And she was like, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and and, um, I'm going to do a transvaginal ultrasound. So then they did the transvaginal ultrasound, and then she said, I'm so sorry, there's no baby. I think that's what she said. I honestly, like, I actually, like, can't really remember what she said because I was just so shocked because in my mind, like, everything had been going fine, and I'd been experiencing all the symptoms you're supposed to experience, um, and then just in an instant – When you expected to go to this appointment with so much joy and happiness, and then it just all was gone. Yeah, I remember the phone call. I was, like, sitting at my desk at work. and The the other thing I remember is that this woman, I mean, she honestly has to do this probably fairly frequently. um, But there was, like, two minutes where she was talking to me, and I was still naked on this table. And then she was like, I'm going to give you a second to get dressed. I'm going to leave, and then I'm going to come back. 
And then she came back and she was like, these are your options. What questions do you have? And in that short time, I was, I mean, I was able to make a decision about what I wanted to do. Um, But I don't really like, I don't remember very much about what happened. And what is it that you have to do at that point? Yeah, so you have a couple of options. Um, so I had a miscarriage, um, but had what what is called a missed miscarriage. And so unlike other miscarriages that maybe you read about or see um, where, you know, someone goes to the bathroom and then they have bleeding, I hadn't had any signs or symptoms. And so I had the choice to either take medication to have the um, – fetal tissue be expelled from my body using medication, um, which would mean that I would just like stay at home and kind of wait for that to happen um, or um, to have a surgical procedure called a dilation and curatage or a DNC um, where you go to the operating room and they remove the um, dead fetal tissue from your body. I couldn't really bear the thought of being at home and like having to wait and you have a lot of cramping and pain um, and like having to do that at home. I decided it would be much better and easier for me to just have a surgical procedure and know that it was kind of done. Um, They told me that I could do it the next day, um, but I um, was going out of town uh, for a funeral. And so I had to wait a few days and I did it on the Monday when I came back. And what do you remember about that time? That must have been awful. Yeah, it was horrible. Um, It was just such a mixed bag of like having to call some people who didn't even know that we were pregnant um, and say like, well, you didn't even know that this was happening, but now this has happened and I need to take some time off and I'm going to be gone. Um, And then having to go back to Iowa for the funeral of a really good friend's mom and sort of just the juxtaposition of the loss of a person who I really loved and admired and the mom of one of my really dear friends and then feeling and experiencing my own loss for something that I hadn't even had yet but had sort of built up so much excitement for um, was really difficult. What kind of conversations did you and Amit have that first day for the first few hours we just went home and lay in bed and cried and then we started to try to do some rationalization which you know as a pediatrician I take care of a lot of kids and I don't know the challenges of having a child who has any kind of chronic medical condition but I do know that you know most miscarriages happen because there's something genetically that's not quite right with the baby um, and would have meant that the baby wouldn't have had a a normal life. Um, And I think my like medical rational side of me and us, um, we never would have wanted that. And so in some ways that choice was made for us and we didn't have to make a choice about it. It had already happened. Um, But a lot of it was just like a lot of grief and sadness about why it had to happen to us um, because... I hadn't really heard about it happening to a lot of people up until that point. Um, And then as like the day progressed on um, feeling so much guilt um, and starting to wonder like, oh, well, there were like five days when you felt really nauseous and you didn't take your prenatal vitamin. So maybe 
that was the time when you didn't have enough full, like really medical, very, very medical, like you didn't have enough folate. And so then the spinal cord didn't form normally. Or was it that very early on, I didn't even know I was pregnant and like drank over New Year's, you know, because I had no, I didn't know I was pregnant then. I don't know. I just started to sort of spiral into a very negative place and felt very personally like responsible um, for the miscarriage. And did you talk with Amit about that? Yeah, we talked about it a lot. And he's incredible and he's an amazing partner. Um, But I think that there's part of it when it's not your body and not you having to, like, experience all the symptoms beforehand and then having to go through surgery and all of that, that I just felt like there was a part of it that he couldn't really understand. It's just like in my mind how like no matter how many times, even to medical people, you try to explain like what it's like to have a period and cramps. They will never understand what that is like. (laughs) And this is another one of the things. He will never understand that emotional burden of that um, because it wasn't actually his body. Well, and you said that up until that point, you were not you had not heard stories of other people's miscarriages. Yep. How did that change? So as soon as we started sharing with people, which wasn't that many people, but from very close family and friends hearing about multiple people who either themselves or their sister or their mom or their cousin or just everyone um, having miscarriages. And then obviously, you know, talking to the physician and she explained to me that the national rate is that about 30% of all pregnancies, known pregnancies and in miscarriage, but they actually think it's a lot higher than that because some women may not even know that they were pregnant and have a miscarriage, um, just kind of based on timing. Did hearing those numbers give you any relief or was that already known? No, it wasn't known to me. And I did feel relief. Um, It made me feel like less bad about it. Um, But it still didn't change that over time, that guilt, that internal guilt, no matter how many numbers I heard, no matter, you know, 30%, that's a lot. That's like one in, you know, one in three or four pregnancies, depending how you look at it. Um, I didn't feel very much comfort from it. I have a very dear friend who's an now an OB-GYN doctor. And um, I talked to her quite a bit in those first few days because I couldn't hear what my doctor had actually said about what was happening. And so it was nice to have someone else who could explain it to me at a time when I was able to hear it more. And she was saying that, you know, multiple times per day, that was an experience that she went through as an OB. And I just had had no idea. So I did, I did take some comfort in that, but it didn't really take away um, all of the guilt. So in the first few days, the guilt was very much like going through these very specific moments or like things you could have done, taking vitamins. How did that feeling evolve? As time went on, the guilt became less about concrete things and more just a broader sense of a guilt about not being able to fulfill this role of being a mother, Um, which obviously that is a jump to like a million things because – Um, I'm somewhat young still and there's still like a lot of time and I still have a lot of hope about um, becoming pregnant or being a mother in another way because there's many other ways, shapes and forms that can take. Um, 
But it's still hard, I think, in that it was my very first pregnancy. And so I still feel bad that it didn't work. Do you think that there is an aspect of – I know it's it's very common to miscarry and it's common to feel guilt about a miscarriage. But is there is there shame in addition to the guilt? Yeah, I feel like the shame is what you carry like really deep inside. Um, and the hard part about that is that I don't know what will, if anything – make that go away. For me, at least, the shame part, I think, has caused the way that manifests for me is actually a lot of anxiety about the whole pregnancy process. Um, And that obviously, as I also know as a rational person, that like whenever you add stress to yourself, it's just going to make it more difficult for something that is often a very very natural process. It's how the human species has propagated for thousands of years. The anxiety that comes from that shame um, is the part that I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out. What has helped? Um, Time. I think time has helped the most. Um, Talking to other people has helped a lot. I think that the ultimate thing that will help is if we are able to get pregnant or have a child in some other way, then I think that this experience sort of gets not washed under the rug. But now when I think about it and hear all these stories of women who've had five miscarriages and then had their first pregnancy, you realize that no one really goes back to talk about all those other experiences. They really just focus on the happy, healthy children that they have when you see them. I know someone who's also had a miscarriage, and one of the things that she and her partner did after that was have some sort of ritual where they said goodbye. I wonder if you and Amit have done that. We um, didn't have, like, a formal ritual. Um, Part of the ritual for me was honestly saying goodbye kind of simultaneously when I said goodbye to my friend's mom. Um, That was a powerful experience. Um, My friend's mom was also like a super mother. And so I felt a lot of comfort in thinking that that baby would go and be able to somewhere, somehow be with many people who I'd known who were really amazing mothers. Um, And so that for me was sort of a a big closure ritual. Um, We have never done something else more formal, but I know a lot of other people who have um, and have found that to be a pretty powerful experience. We were talking on the way in about doing this interview, and you said, you know I'm doing this completely for you. And I said, I really (laughs) hope you're doing it for other reasons. But, I mean, what do you say to other women out there who may be in the same position I mean, you're, it's obviously still f- fresh. You're not that yeah. far from it. But where are you now with your reflections? For me, like if I had been listening to this um, and had this experience, I think it's just nice to know that it happens to a lot of other people and that the guilt and the shame also probably happen to a lot of other people and maybe something that you have to work through for a lot longer than you initially thought you would. I honestly, I think a lot of this is about 
continuing to have conversations about it um, and not just with necessarily the people who you feel comfortable with when we were walking in here and I said I'm only doing this because you asked me to and then we clarified in that you know I think if it was anyone else who'd asked me to come on a radio and talk about my experience of a miscarriage I would have said no that's really personal but I think it also is very empowering to be able to share a story and know that you may reach out and relate to people who you've never met before, but it's sort of a shared bond and shared experience in being a young woman. Also to just try to be more kind to yourself um, and not put so much blame on yourself because really deep down, I know that it's not something that I did. We now turn to Sydney Monday, a journalist from D.C. who created Black Girl Blue, a mental wellness blog for women of color. Sydney's grandmother used to tell her that hurt people hurt people. And last summer, she spent some time working through how she'd hurt others in her life. Sydney didn't want her guilt to turn into self-sabotage. And her soul-searching led her to write an essay called Summer Vacay Guilt Trippin', cutting the trip short at the layover between guilt and shame. Shame is a funny thing, funny in a sneaky, manipulative kind of way. If shame were a person, your vibey friend would probably say shame, quote, unquote, moved funny and wouldn't want to meet up with them for drinks later. When something happens and we don't know how we reacted, shame's voice mimics our own inner voice so perfectly that it can persuade us into being other versions of ourselves just to compensate for the shitty thing that we felt we might have done. Whereas guilt can reaffirm our values and allows us to see where our actions didn't match, shame persuades us to keep our heads down, check our ex's social media after unfollowing, and a whole list of things that generally aren't in our best interest. Guilt could be a visitor stopping by after a singular incident Or for some of us, it could be an annoying long-term roommate picked up in the freshman year of our lives. When guilt has been with us for so long, we don't just feel bad for doing wrong, but we start to believe that in our mistakes, we've somehow become wrong. And in this moment, our guilt trip is rerouted into shame territory. When we've gotten to the point that we've started to play small and sabotage our own opportunities, we're being unkind to ourselves. We tell ourselves our ideas won't work because how dare they? We're still beating ourselves up for what we did in the first grade or yesterday or two years ago. Shame tells us that we don't deserve to live the lives that we want. But it's time to look at the self that is throwing wrenches and all of the plans we've been hoping and praying for and tell it to get with us or get lost. We are human. We are flawed. We make mistakes and sometimes hurt people. And many times, saying sorry won't make up for it. More often than not, the only apology that will count is the one that we can make to ourselves for acting out of fear, from a place that wasn't truly us, for tormenting ourselves over something we might have done, or for being too hard on ourselves to thrive where we were. 
We are magic, but also sometimes we're fucked up. We should be allowed the space to recognize our mistakes and consciously work on treating others and ourselves decently. After admitting that we've been wrong, apologizing to a voicemail that might likely get deleted, or in a text that gets left on read at 8.13pm, we could really start by turning that apology inwards and doing something good for the self that wants better. On the journey back to ourselves, we could think about the lesson, dig deeper into why exactly we needed to learn it, and put it into the ever-growing bag of hard adult lessons so we can go get what's coming to us. The good, the bad, the embarrassing, the life-changing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Last up, the moms. We asked them to share what they have felt guilty about lately. And here's what they had to say. Well, that's kind of an interesting question because I've kind of been thinking about that a little bit. Um, I think right now I'm feeling guilty about two things. One is, I, you know, I always think about mistakes I might have made or not working smartly enough, that kind of thing. I mean, there's always that. But also about, about you know, being a mother and mistakes that I feel like I may have made as, in being a parent. You've been thinking um, about that lately? Yeah, I have. Why? Uh-huh. A little bit, yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, I think I have an innate bent towards guilt anyway. I remember telling a friend of mine once that if you put me in a lineup of uh, people for some horrible crime that I knew nothing about, I might say, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's a little bit of that in me. And, you know, I look back and I, I think about where you and your sister are, and I feel like y'all are just doing so wonderfully well. But then I, I think whenever uh, y'all have a struggle about something, I think, well, could I have done something differently as a parent that might have eased the way? No. Uh, helped you better able to cope? No. That's all. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate that very much. I'm I'm here to assure you that you are an excellent and are an excellent mom. I really think that I am old enough now to not feel guilty about very much at all. 
I mean, I, I live my life without, because I want to. But small guilt, but not very guilty about watching, like, really dumb TV shows, like, which I sometimes do. Like what? Um, Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> and there's one I've been watching this week. It's called Make It or Break It. It's about the gymnastics club. <laughs> um, it's super dumb, but I quite like it. But I'm, I'm like, this is just such a waste of time. But anyway, I get my cup of tea and I sit there. And I may even watch more than one episode in a row, which I think is really bad. You're you know? so bad. But so too bad, so sad. And I also sometimes feel guilty if I'm just lazy and I don't, you know, if I plan to do exercise and I don't do it, I feel a little bit guilty for that. And if I if I don't cook for several days in a row and I just give dad a bunch of leftovers for a long time, I sometimes feel guilty like that, that I've not made anything fresh. But that's really nothing to feel guilty about. But in my mind, it is. <laughs> But I feel like I'm 56 and I've earned my my little good life that I have, so I don't need to feel guilty. Amen. Amen. That's our show. Thank you for listening to She and Her, and thanks to all of the women who shared today. She and Her is a podcast and radio show produced by me, Sandra Davidson, and Anita Rao. Our theme music was made by Cameron Laws and Sam Gerwick. You can find us at She and Her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Check out sheandherradio.com for clearinghouse of all of our stuff. And we will see you with a brand new episode again next week. Bye. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.